can't get enough of the podcast? Lucky for you, our video IQ platform on adorebeauty.com.au houses thousands of articles on skincare, makeup, hair care, and more. Plus, you can find a heap of video tutorials, ingredient spotlights, and brand breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Just click on Beauty IQ in the menu bar of the website or app or search Adore Beauty on YouTube for more beauty content. Welcome everybody to Beauty IQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. I did want to say that like I was li- I was listing out all the guys I'm chatting to at the moment. Yeah. Guess how many potentials there are at the moment? Um, eight. Oh, it's only five. I thought you oh. were going to say less than that. <laughs> oh, I've got six. <laughs> <laughs> You've got six? Are you joking? <laughs> Oh, my God. I'll leave that to you to interpret. <laughs> I can't even keep up with five, let alone, like, I'm finding yeah. it really challenging. And, like, I don't know what they all do for work. Like, I couldn't <laughs> possibly remember what each person does yeah. for work or or how many siblings they've got yeah. or what suburb they live in. It's too hard. Well, you don't generally remember or know suburbs anyway, so. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um <laughs> Now, I did want to do a little shout out to listener. She won't know mm. that I'm um, shouting out to her because her son sent me this DM. Mm. So, Nikki listens to Beauty IQ to go to sleep. Very cute. Are we that boring? Her, <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was wondering. So, her son sent me a message saying, in the nicest way possible, she says she can't fall asleep unless she is listening to Beauty IQ Uncensored. Aww. <laughs> She's tried other podcasts and she says they don't work. So I just, uh, is that a compliment or is it not a compliment? I think it is. I feel like I'm going to take that as a compliment that she's comforted by our presence in her ears as she falls asleep. I think that it was that it relaxes her. I just feel like our cackling laughs would be very jolting. If you were trying to sleep. It's like going, like I used to go to sleep to Grey's Anatomy and then if there uh. was like some big surgery happening where people were screaming, it would jolt me awake. I used to listen to um like serial killer podcasts if my ex-boyfriend oh, was snoring God, and I'd put Joe. that in and I'd just go to sleep so serenely. <laughs> and you then that made are, me think, am I a psychopath? You're like a secret psychopath. Like what yeah. is going on that you find that relaxing? I don't know. But speaking of podcasts that we go to sleep to, hopefully people won't go to sleep to this one. But Skincare School, we mentioned a few episodes ago, um, we've just released a limited edition pack. So this is a skincare pack. So I've got it. It's the best. Oh, you've, you've got the pack? Oh, the cosmetic bag is <laughs> the like... The cosmetic it's, bag. It's not leather, but it feels like It's leather. a vibe, isn't it? It's so, so this nice. pack is valued at $671.95, but you can buy it for $249 and it's got some of our favourite cult classic products in there. Hannah, do you want to read the list of things that you can buy in there? I was legitimately in those meetings when we were putting together like what would be in the pack. So it is actually curated by the Adore Beauty team. Mm-hmm. It's got Alpha H Beauty Sleep Power Pill, my fave. Of course. That's full size. ASAP Super B Complex Full Size. That's one of both of our faves. Skinceutical mm-hmm. CE for Rulic. Ultraviolet Supreme Screen. Skin Institute Glycolic Scrub 14%. Dermalogica Special Cleansing Gel. Aspect Probiotic Mask. That's a full size too. And then it's got the facial headband. And then it also has a cosmetic bag. And I think the cosmetic bag, as much as I love all those products. <laughs> cosmetic um, bag's worth the price. The cosmetic bag <laughs> is like worth it. Like just for yeah. that. And it's like branded Adore Beauty in gold foil. It's 
stunning. So nice. So keep in mind, this is a limited edition pack. We expect it to sell out very, very quickly. So if you're hearing this today, whatever the date is, you need to go out and buy it because it probably will sell out and I don't think it's going to be restocked. So get your hands on it as soon as you can. It's got some great products in there. And as Hannah said, worth it for the cosmetic bag. Yep, 100%. (laughs) Um, So what is on today's episode, Hannah? So on today's episode, um, we are chatting about rashes with our resident GP, Dr. Lucinda. Then we have Laura Carson. She's an optometrist to talk about what products you can and can't use around your eyes and, of course, the products we didn't know we needed. So, Hannah, you actually sent me a Slack and you said, can we please do rashes? And I said, all right, if you want to. (laughs) So we thought we'd bring back Dr. Lucinda. Welcome back to the podcast. We love having you as always. Oh, hi, guys. Thanks. I love being on here. It's always a good laugh. (laughs) And you said, I love talking about rashes. And I was like, perfect. That's going to work well. The reason I requested this was I had a rash on my ankle from Queensland that lasted. It did not go away. I think it was still there for two months. Finally, I went to the doctor and and she was like, so I I bought the -the over-the-counter cortisone cream, did nothing. She was like, let's get you a prescription cortisone cream. And she said, if that doesn't work, go to a fungal cream. And if the fungal cream doesn't work, go to the cortisone. I didn't really give either a go. I just, it's not working. And then I swapped to the next cream. It's not working. Swap to the next cream. Oh dear. (laughs) It definitely wasn't fungal because that didn't work. And then I really stuck with the cortisone cream and it it has almost gone away now. She said the law of rashes is one of the two will work. It kind, okay. I probably added another one there as well. (laughs) If if in in big doubt, there is a, a, an asbestos-like kind of cream out there which contains both well all steroid fungal and bacterial stuff so if you're really screwed Ah. then that's a sitch it's a it's required in very few instances but like if you've tried absolutely everything sometimes that works but genuinely speaking it's good to understand where the possible cause of the rashes come from and the thing is is that rashes can come in so many different ways like are they flat are they red have they got scale on them is it just in one patch has it spread to another area and like travel history is really important as well so fungal rashes are really common actually in Mm. in sort of travel history because of just living conditions basically swimming pools uh where there's lots of these things going around also bacterial infections are super common too i actually wanted to ask while we're on this topic someone dm'd me the other day um and they had ringworm yeah and it looked like a rash on their face so we're gonna have to come back and talk about ringworm separately i think because that's just like a whole nother let's do a worms segment worms would be and we'll great cover that then yeah let's definitely do worms <laughs> so can you talk us through the most common rashes that you see as a doctor yeah sure there's like loads of rashes that come through and I also do a skin cancer clinic as well so I see things that people are worried about that are skin cancer but actually just sort of normal rashes as well common things like eczema for example so that's like an inflammatory condition where you've got a weakened skin barrier and it can be sort of triggered by sort of things that you might be allergic to, or even things like overgrowth of yeast, uh, for example, and then things that you're in contact with, like even like uh, metals and things like that, that can cause this sort of inflammatory reaction. So those things are really, really common. And then other things like acne is super common as well. And then things like infections. So 
we've gone from like bacteria infections and parasitic infections, viral infections, to things that we've kind of mentioned there, to sort of like uh, things like STI related herpes and syphilis, where you're getting these things more in sort of the genital areas, you know, common things like chicken pox and shingles, which is a type of viral infection. And even when you get viral illnesses, sometimes you can come out in a rash. So that's important to know. You probably heard a bit about molluscum as well. So these sort of like these pearly papules that can appear on the skin normally in child children, but they can come later on. Things also like scabies, that's always fun. So like typically coming in with really itching in between the finger webs, even like skin cancers or precancerous lesions. So most common thing that I see in my skin cancer clinic is um, solar keratosis. And that's in the really sun exposed areas, commonly on the face, neck and arm areas and lower legs. And those are like those red sort of patches of skin with a bit of scale on them as well. And they're not really responding to anything. And that's sort of like key things, guys. Like if, they, if you've got any skin things that aren't responding to something, then, you know, definitely please go and see a GP. Mm. I don't really get rashes except when I go to like really humid mm. destinations. I was going to say maybe it's because you stay in hostels, Hannah, and the Bed's not clean. No, but this one on my ankle, I'd been staying in like an apartment for two weeks and I thought it was a heat rash. It felt like a heat rash. Is that possible? Well, it depends on where the rash. So you mentioned a rash on your ankle. So that for me makes me think less of a heat rash unless it was rubbing on something that's in contact, like it's a contact dermatitis then, or whether or not it was like an insect bite and maybe that got irritated. I thought it was um, mosquito bites that had become like, in my head, had become irritated by my Lululemon leggings. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to throw out an alternative um, diagnosis because I noticed that you were going for lots of hikes in like dense bushland uh-huh. and I thought maybe some yeah. kind of shrub Ooh. has caused a bit of an allergic reaction on your ankle. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I'm not qualified. Oh, but It's pretty good. It's <laughs> like it could be the it's case. It's so good. It must be really hard for doctors to, to know what every single rash mm. is. Do you do a lot of Googling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's how you Google. <laughs> it's, it's a red rash. I know what that is. Like there's a million red rashes. There are. And that's the thing. You either have someone who's super interested in rashes or you're just not and you're uh-huh. like, I want nothing to do with them. So, yeah, you often find one GP in the practice or ask, oh, who is interested in rashes? Who can I see for this? And then just be like, go and see them instead, especially if you've tried like the simple stuff. And the thing is to bear in mind is like sometimes it's great that over-the-counter steroid topical creams are here, uh, but sometimes it can make some conditions worse. So like if you've got anything on your face in particular, I would genuinely just don't sort of go over the counter, just try and go and see a GP because for example, things like rosacea, I don't know if you've heard of that before. Classically, it's like um, this red flushing rash, nose, cheeks, forehead, chin, that's made worse by topical steroids. Back in the day when I used to go to the solarium, I got this like scaly rash on my back and I wondered if that was a common thing because a couple of my friends at the time who also went to the solarium got the same thing. Is there a thing thing called like a solarium rash? Naughty. It's Yeah, it's very naughty. I know. I, Don't. I already feel bad enough about it. <laughs> but um, the thing is with solariums and 
it, it's cannel to your skin barrier. And so what you might get is like an overgrowth of um, some fungus. It's probably the most likely thing mm-hmm. there if you're coming in the scaly kind of rash or whether or not you're just literally getting a type of, normally like a dermatitis, which is like um, like an allergic type of reaction or an inflammatory type of reaction. It comes with a bit of redness as well. So if it's just pure scale or even um, like overgrowth of fungal um, or yeasts even, they can sort of discolor the skin so they can make it paler yes oh my god that's what it was Uh, that's what it was so that's like pityriasis is a type of uh, condition there and that's really really common when you're having things that can alter skin barrier and also things like going on holiday and using all you know different showers and swimming pools and things like that Mm -hmm. it's quite contagious yeah yeah my other question was I've been watching maths lately and I noticed that a lot of people on there get this really red rash on their chest and it's like they're really nervous and I wondered if you can explain why they get that big red rash it's like it looks really um patchy Mm. and it's usually on their neck and chest so as far as I know like this is almost like a histamine type of reaction potentially Mm. so some people get it and some people don't they just sort of flush and it's almost like all the histamine comes up to the skin and causes inflammation and redness uh to be produced it's almost like um, when people drink alcohol sometimes, um, there's increased histamine, yes. specifically like red wine or like, you know, the Asian flush. I don't know if you've heard of that. So it's sort of like histamine. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually spoke to a dermatologist about that. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. I've got a story to finish with. I remember one night I all of a sudden like I had itchy legs and all of a sudden I had all these bruises, like my legs were covered in bruises. And so I called my parents. They're like, go to the hospital because they thought it might be meningococcal. So I went to the emergency room and they didn't know what it was. And so I remember I ended up back at the hospital to get biopsies and they were so like, they didn't know what it was. So they had me lying in my undies and the doctor said, do you mind if all the interns come and have a look (laughs) at your bruises? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I swear like 20 interns came in to look at my bruises on my legs and I was like, what the hell is going on? Am I dying? Wow. Like I didn't know what was going on. Anyway, they they biopsied every bruise. So I think I had 12 punch biopsies on my legs. And eventually it was like, it's called urticaria vasculitis, which is like mm. hives, but it's bruises. And um, I just had to take Telfast <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> well, because they thought it might be some sort of like. I'd be worried. Yeah. I'm glad you went to the hospital. Yeah. They thought it could be like can- like cancer. Mm. Like there was a million possibilities that it could have been. But anyway, it was just like a mm. rare form of hives. Mm. Yeah. So the moral of the story, Dr. Lucinda, is probably like if you do get a rash of some sort, just go to the GP. Don't Google it and don't go and buy the cortisone cream. Exactly. And it's, I know this sounds really bad, but like GPs do Google things. But the thing is, we Google with, mm. with a knowledge base and we know which kind of sites yes. to look yeah. at as well. Like, for example, a really good website is something called Dermnets. And it's um, and a New Zealand-based mm-hmm. website um, developed by dermatologists. Yeah, so that's where the – so urticary vasculitis, you can't get information on the net about it except Dermnet. Mm. It's really good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's something. But, again, Google with GP advice, I would say. And it's totally mm. fine to also go to the GP and say, look, I Googled this and I think I'm dying because – 
you know, I'd rather you said that, um, that I can understand and address your concerns. Although I normally ask patients, have you Googled something and you're really, really, really worried about something in particular? Um, it's not silly to say it, guys. So please be honest with it. Mm-hmm. Just a general sort of skincare type of thing is sort of I often ask my patients who have skin conditions to sort of look for fragrance-free products. Um, and also don't forget about hair care because when you're washing your hair, that's obviously sort of washing down onto your skin. Also, mm. the stuff that you obviously, you know, use to uh, sort of wash your clothes and your linens and all of that with is really mm. important. And also medications is very important as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, Dr. Lucinda. Always full of facts. We're always happy to have you on the show. So we'll have you back on soon, hopefully to talk about worms. Mm, That would be yummy. (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Great. We'll see you next time. Cool. See you. Today's guest joining us is optometrist Laura Carson from Canterbury Eye Care. Now, we've already had an optometrist on the show before, but we had more questions about eyes that we wanted answered. So we thought we'd bring Laura on. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And you're actually also a listener. Yeah. And I was like just inspired to go, oh, I should really learn a bit more about what's safe to use around the eyes. And then I thought it might be useful for you too. Yep, it definitely is. So when we spoke to a dermatologist on a past episode about using eye creams and serums, she was staunchly opposed to eye-specific skincare, but you've done some further research around skincare for the eyes. Can you tell us why it's so important to be careful with what we apply around our eyes? Yeah. So, and that was a great episode. Um, I even like learned a little bit in that one too. Yeah. You have to be careful about what products you're using around your eyes because some are actually quite dangerous to the glands around the eyes. And if those glands are damaged, then you can actually have chronic long-term dry eye, which is pretty serious. So the main products to really be quite careful about around the eyes is any retinol based product. And I think it's probably on some of the labels already, but putting that too close to those glands then puts you at risk of having that damage down the track and even just irritation of the tear film and yeah, irritation inside the eye, like grittiness, soreness, that sort of thing in the short term. Which ingredients do you tend to recommend for using around the eye area? Yes. Well, like that other guest that you had on, she said it is actually safe to use some products around the eyes, even if they're not eye cream formulated. Um, and that's still true, especially products like vitamin C. That's got lots of really good research around safety around the eyes. And of course, you don't want to bring it too close to the eyelashes themselves. Um, Still give a couple of millimetres of of leeway with the cream. But yeah, vitamin C, vitamin E, niacinamide, uh, hyaluronic acid. The eye actually has quite a lot of hyaluronic acid in it, and I prescribe that a lot in eye drops. So that's quite safe around the eyes. Other things like peptides, growth factors, uh, ceramides, all of those are safe to use around the eyes uh, in the right formulation. So actually, I have I have a couple more questions on this. Yeah. So we're saying re- got to be really careful with retinol. I have seen yeah. some eye creams that are formulated with retinol, so they must be tested and safe to use around the eyes. Yeah. I, I struggled to find specific like products, yep. but there has been a fair bit of research that retinols are, are dangerous for the glands so and the glands span quite far below and above the eyes um, like a couple of centimeters 
So perhaps in a certain area it's okay, um, but I wouldn't be going all the way up to the eye with the retinol. Any acids? How do you feel about glycolic salicylic acid? Yeah, alpha hydroxy acids. There was some research to show that they're okay to use around the eyes. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes they can be quite strong, so you still want to test it and be careful. But for in terms of if you're using them for anti-aging properties, which you might want to on the skin around the eyes Um, because it ages the quickest of the skin on the face, then they can be safe to use. And I had one more because I've been using, um, I've got melasma under my eyes and I have pigment products and they're like really strong aspect doctor. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I can take this up to like where the pigment spots are underneath my eyes. I think it depends on the product. Like if you've tested a little bit and it doesn't have a retinol in it, it might be okay. Okay. Um, If they've been prescribed for you, I'd probably check with um, whoever prescribed them for you because I'm not sure of the strength. But yeah, no, because you can get quite a lot of pigmentation around the eyes um, and there are things that you need to do to treat it. It's just being careful and avoiding, yeah, retinols. Um, So we often hear of listeners struggling with sunscreen formulas causing their eyes to sting. Usually this is because they already have sensitive eyes. But are there any formulas you recommend for anyone who gets those stingy sunscreen eyes? We've all experienced it before. Yes. And even like my partner complains to me about it all the time as well. Again, research wise, just a physical sunscreen is the best for sensitive eyes um, and for the sensitive skin around the eyes and being careful where you apply it. Even sometimes ones that are water resistant, they can help with that too. So it's really a matter of trying different products and seeing what's okay with your eyes. Anytime you get something like that in your eye, you can flush it out um, like with some saline or with some lubricating drops and that can flush out any of that irritation. But yeah, physical sunscreens are best for the skin around the eyes. Yeah, I think our um, customer service team recommended ultraviolet lean screen for anyone with sensitive eyes. And there's some La Roche-Posay, I think, as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the Anthalios, they also said they tended to recommend Mm. for sensitive eyes too. So we had an optometrist on the show quite a while ago and we spoke about makeup mistakes and expired products, Um, but we're keen to know what you think are the biggest mistakes we make with makeup that can cause eye issues. Yes, that was Nat, who I went to uni with, which is really cool. (laughs) Small world. (laughs) I know, I know. So the biggest mistake that I find with makeup, which I don't think she touched on, is if you use an eyeliner and you tight line, which is where you put it on the inside of the eyelashes, so right on the eyelid margin that touches the surface of the eye, that coming back to those glands that I was talking about earlier, that's really dangerous for those glands. It will block them and it will cause atrophy of them. So it's essentially where they die and they can't regenerate and then you can get really bad dry eye and long-term effects on that as well. So I think there was a research study that said 96% of the time when you're applying eyeliner on the inside rim, it will irritate the eye, whereas it was only about 20% when you were applying it underneath the lash line. Right. Oh, I always do that. Yeah, I always <laughs> put eyeliner. Oh, I know it looks great, <laughs> but it really is bad. <laughs> I struggle to get it off. I always find that it's always underneath my eyes for a couple of days because you can't really get in there and get it off properly. So does that contribute to the, the problem is that you can't remove it properly? So it sits in there for days. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it. <laughs> but also just having something physically blocking a gland that should always be nice and wide open. That's a problem yes. too. Right. What have we? We've created monsters. I know. <laughs> Makeup monsters. 
People will listen to this and keep doing it, though. <laughs> Hannah, you and I will probably continue. <laughs> I will probably keep doing Just it. Just anyway. minimise <laughs> and try and take it off. <laughs> okay, all right. I'd be interested to know whether with the popularity of makeup rising, if issues with eyes have grown as well. Like, are optometrists yeah. busier now than they were 50 years ago because makeup wasn't as popular? Actually, 50 years ago was only the 70s, so I keep thinking we're only in 2000. I don't know yeah. why. Like, I forget that time has passed. It's obviously hard to say, but like anecdotally, I do see it a lot. Even people who don't realise their eyes are irritated, I can see makeup just floating around in their tear film or if I look Ooh. underneath their eyelids, it's like the mica pigment is stuck underneath the eyelids. Ooh. Yeah. I know, I know. So what are the safest makeup products to use around the eyes then? Yeah, so it's it's not as much to do with what's the safest, but just what's going to be replaced um, quite often and removed properly. So you can use all different products as long as you're using it in the right place and appropriately, and then you're removing it. Things that say have higher risk of bacterial infections occurring in the product itself are more water-based products. So like the liquid eyeliners, Whereas like the waterproof mascara has much lower risks of having um, any bacterial infection develop in the product if you're using it for too long because it's really quite solvent based. So it's not a very good area for bacteria to grow, which is a bit scary about how strong and what it's made out of that you're putting around your eyes. But yeah, if you then remove it properly with a nice oil-based makeup remover, it's it's better to come off that way. Now, you've also done some research into cosmetic procedures or services that can also impact our eyes. Can you talk us through those? I'm assuming it's eyelash extensions at some point. Oh <laughs> my gosh, I've seen so many eyelash extensions that are just big, swollen, scary eyelids. But (laughs) yeah, obviously there can be good practices around it. It's just even things like the numbing cream that they put around the eyes to do it is quite dangerous to the eye surface itself. Um, It's quite acidic. And then the glue is formaldehyde based in most cases, which is pretty dangerous to have around your eyes too. You can even get like traction alopecia from them. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, alopecia is and you can get it from having the eyelashes Uh, glued onto your natural lashes so that's um, quite common and even things like lash lifts they can be a little bit dangerous too about whatever products that are used in them I think actually a recent interview with Anastasia Beverly Hill she commented on that Mm -hmm. and I'm still gonna get them (laughs) 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 I guess in that case like just really check with your practitioner make sure you're using the most sort of gentle product that you can around it and make sure you're really cleaning your eyelashes quite well too so um, not encouraging any bacterial growth around that area Uh, there's a lot of other research to do with things that like some local ophthalmologists might more often see which is even things like there's been reports of a stroke or um, blood clots from having facial fillers if they've hit the wrong um, artery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've heard that. Pretty scary. Yeah. Things like having the eyelid lifts, they can also be quite damaging. If they're done right, of course, they can be great and there are medical reasons to have them. But just being cautious about your practitioner and the methods being used around all of that and looking after your eyes and your skin around the eyes as much as you can. Mm -hmm. I'd like to get an ophthalmologist on to ask them whether Botox under the eye is okay. 
Yeah, I mean, so Botox, actually the first use of Botox was around the eyes because oh. it straightens a turned eye. And I used to work at an ophthalmology clinic and we actually would use it in patients who like had a hemifacial spasm, so their face would uh, twitch or if they had droopy eyelids. Okay. So, of course, there are safe uses for it. And if the right person knows their anatomy around the eyes really well, then the risks of adverse effects are lower but it is still something you need to be careful about. Mm-hmm. Mm. What do you recommend for removing stubborn or waterproof, waterproof my eye makeup's the worst, yeah. um, that don't damage our eye skin or lashes? Yeah, so I looked into some research on this and of a wide range of products that remove makeup, all of them do affect the tear film. So uh, for a couple of minutes afterwards, but the one that affected the tear film the least was an oil-based makeup remover. And it does break down the waterproof mascara as well. So it is probably the best one to use of any. And in saying that, you know, you can still use your other uh, makeup removers on the rest of your face, but just when it comes to your eye makeup, use an oil-based remover. Mm-hmm. We love an oil cleanser. Any good recommendations? <laughs> well, I actually really like um, the Dermalogica pre-cleanse and I just started using the Cora Organics Milky Mushroom Cleanser. Same, the mushroom, which Ooh. I thought was going to smell and like she mushrooms. she hates mushrooms, so she was a bit put off initially, but I actually really like it. That sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, and quite gentle on the eyes as well. So I saw a TikTok recently because I'm in my late 20s and that's all I do in my spare time. Um, so there was this girl using these eye drops she bought off Amazon and they made the whites of her eyes super white. And I wanted to know, firstly, are those damaging? And secondly, is it damaging to just use eye drops for the sake of it? Cause sometimes if my eyes are just looking a little bit like red or dull, I'll just use eye drops that I have. Is that bad? Um, I'll start with using eye drops for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it depends on the type of eye drop, making sure it's in date. If it's a lubricant eye drop and it's in date, it's totally fine to use. If they have any preservatives in them, you want to minimize the amount that you're using them. Mm-hmm. But if you find one without preservatives, so there's one that's hyaluronic acid based and has no preservatives and lasts six months, it's amazing and you can use it as much as you need to. Totally mm-hmm. fine. When it comes to that TikTok, um, I looked it up and (laughs) it is so crazy. And so the actual ingredient in it is actually one that we use in Australia in glaucoma. So in higher dosage, it lowers the eye pressure. And I was really surprised to look up the research about that product because in my experience, when I've prescribed it for glaucoma, it's really irritating to the eyes and people don't like to use it, but it's quite useful. In the lower dosage that's in this product, it there's some research, and although it's a small sample size and done by the company that um, released it, it does show that there's a reduction in the redness for a couple of hours and the eye pressure risk factors are pretty low. So um, anything like that, which they have been around for a long time, anything to clear up redness, it's fine to use for a day or two if you have an event or something, but I really wouldn't be using them quite regularly and um, be using them with caution as to how often as well. On that um, TikTok eye drop, I actually saw there was someone who had used it on like a red pimple and I was like, oh my gosh, TikTok, this is wild. (laughs) Did you see that? Don't take any... No medical advice from TikTok. Yeah, don't do it. (laughs) I don't know what the regulations in the US are, but it looked like there were some a bit of 
like promotion around that eyedrop from the company itself ah, on, the, on the platform. Interesting, yeah. but we can't do that here. TikTok's the wild, wild west. It is. It is. Anything <laughs> is on TikTok, just be very careful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. All of that information was super helpful. If we have any other um, eye-related questions come through, we'll definitely bring you back on because you've obviously done a lot of research around it. It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, anterior eye, like dry eye side of things, is um, a little bit of my practice interest. So I like to do a lot of research and know what's up and even just for myself to know what I should use around the eyes and keep my eyes safe and healthy. If anyone wants to go and see Laura, she's at Canterbury Eye Care in Melbourne. Thanks for very much guys product we didn't know we needed hannah i'll let you take okay. the floor first so product we didn't know we needed kind of turned into less like product we didn't know we needed and just like products we love um yeah. so i legitimately today have a legitimate product i didn't know i needed because you 100% I didn't even know this existed mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's the Sear Trudon matches um oh god and <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay so I for Christmas I got this Sear Trudon candle it's you've so got one it's, it's f-ing huge it's the biggest candle you've ever seen in your life love a big candle but can't find matches to light the big candle with what do you mean <laughs> well because little little matches don't burn for long enough so how can you get to all five wicks in one go don't you have one of those fire lighter things i find those it's just like a lighter and it's got like a long stem i did on it. it ran out first of all and second of all you can't you also can't put those on display yeah so you have to chuck it in the drawer, you know, five meters away. So we've really exceeded bougie level. We're not relatable anymore. <laughs> oh my god, I just love that. I this is like you do not need this, but you no, so want you it. absolutely product you don't need, guys. They're about twenty centimeters long, and mm-hmm. the best part is they're in a beautiful box, so you can actually display them like with your three kilo candle. Are they like $65 or something for a pack They're of actually, 12? no, $29. Oh, okay. So the ones that I'm using are fresh mint, ginger tea and tobacco. That's what they're Ooh. scented with. The Byron matches, which, oh, God, they smell good. Um, Those ones are cognac, cedar, iris and leather. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't want matches that smell like that, honestly? Um, but anyway, <laughs> let me see how many there are. Do you want to do yours while I count? Okay, sure. I actually thought I'd already done this product and then I Googled like when I'm trying to find a product I didn't know we needed, I Google the podcast name and then the product name to see if it'll come up in Google because usually our podcast notes will show up mm-hmm. and I couldn't find it in there. So if I've already done this, I'm sorry, but I just recently started using this again and I was like, Fuck, this is the best lip gloss ever. It's the Bobbi Brown Crushed Oil Infused Lip Gloss in the shade In The Buff. It is the perfect pinky nude shade and it lasts forever. Like for a lip gloss, it just lasts so long and I'm obsessed with the colour and I put my Charlotte Tilbury Pillow Talk Lip Liner on underneath and I pretty much cover my whole lips in that and then I put this lip gloss over the top and it like just stays perfectly. It's my go-to date lip because they just look really like full and plump and like juicy. So that's my product. Very nice. Now I've counted. All right, how many matches are there? 40. Oh. So $29 for 40 matches that are 20 centimetres long and have hot man smell. I mean, seriously. Let me just work out what that is per match. Okay, so um, (laughs) 
I actually really, really like them. So 72 cents per match. Yeah. Yeah. Cost per wear. (laughs) Worth it. (laughs) (laughs) But because it's such a beautiful box, you can put them on display. Like it's also like a sculpture. It's quite a cheap sculpture. Honestly, if you're a bougie person, you won't be questioning this. No, it just be. makes sense. Yeah, but for people that that aren't wasting money on matches, well, I'm sorry, that's probably ninety percent of the audience. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I think everyone's just buying the standard ones at the supermarket. But you know, nothing wrong with being a little bougie sometimes. So we haven't really done much dating chat today, Hannah. It's been very limited considering. But I did send you a text the other day, and it was a screenshot from someone who had responded to. One of my prompts on Hinge, and mm. oh yeah, I can't I can't show you the photo of the guy, but that makes this response a lot funnier. But it was my prompt that is um, first round is on me if you wear sunscreen every day, and he replied saying, "I also wear a UV bracelet to tell me the radiation on any <laughs> given day." And I thought, I think we're soulmates. Um, Seriously, but also maybe a little bit too far. But I do know that these bracelets exist, and La Roche Posay have those stickers. You know those love heart stickers they do and it kind of tells you, gives you ah. an indicator of when the UV is too high. No. Um, but, yeah, he's really taking UV exposure really seriously and I very much respect that. So um, good on him. There's I'm chatting to two guys at the moment with the same name. Oh. They're both from the same country. Um, oh. And- and I remembered that a girl that I'm friends with was dating this guy with the same name from the same country. And so I match with this guy on Hinge and I'm like, oh, shit, is that the guy mm-hmm. she went on a date with? Anyway, it wasn't. But then I matched with the guy that she went on a date with. Oh. <laughs> a few days later. Yeah, right. So I'm chatting to both of them at the moment. Okay. Does that make sense? It would be like, let me just do like an analogy. I don't want to give it away, but it would be like, you know, Lorenzo from Italy. And so I'm chatting to Lorenzo from Italy. Oh, I remember Lorenzo (laughs) from Italy. He actually exists, guys. (laughs) He actually exists. So so Lorenzo from Italy. So I'm chatting to him on Hinge and I'm like, oh, Mm. but my friend also dated a Lorenzo from Italy. And so I ask my friend and my friend says, oh, no, show Mm. me a photo. Oh, no, that's not him. Don't worry. Um, yeah. And then I say, can you show me a photo of your Lorenzo from Italy? And I'm like, oh, he's hot. And so then oh. a few days later, I match with her Lorenzo from Italy. This is just way too complicated, but I hope that made some sense. So that's really yeah. my only update. So are both Lorenzos from Italy, are they both like equally as good or do we prefer one Lorenzo over the other? I've only met one of them, so I have oh, to make okay. the other one to make a decision. Yep, got to about make which, a judgment. Yeah, make a judgment on which Lorenzo from Italy I prefer. By the way, his name's not. They're not Lorenzos. Yeah, that not was a Italy. code name. It's code. But there has previously been a Lorenzo from Italy, but <laughs> he's was. no longer on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our dating chat for the day. So <laughs> dating can get really complicated, can't it? <laughs> when you're trying to give people code names, it does. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also, we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. Bye.